0: to the SPS Digital Learning Hour.
1: Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department.
0: We're coming to you from a conference room in Central Office bringing you the latest news in the Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom.
1: We'll also inform you of the latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to using technology in the classroom or are a seasoned vet, we are here to help.
0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. I'm
1: Suzanne Zarges.
0: I'm Brendan Reed. In case you missed it, the latest blog post is out. It's all about training videos. So on Microsoft Stream, out on Office 365, we have a whole host of training videos that are designed to educate and inspire you and which we update regularly. So check them out if you haven't been there before. You can find it out on Office 365. But if you click on See All Apps, then you should be able to find Stream It is alphabetical after all and if there's any ideas for training videos that you're looking for would like more information on or some inspiring videos that you found that you thought would be good to share with everybody please email us at DLASupport at springfieldpublicschools.com and we will see what we can do about it in case you missed it there is a new website out there put together by the museum of science in chicago it is a game called simple machines and it's a basic physics game so this is designed specifically for elementary school or for those teachers in the middle and upper grades who are looking for ways to get back into teaching Simple Machines to your students. It's a fun game. I went out there. I played it myself. I found this information on free teacher, freetechnologyforteachers.com. There's a whole host if you're not a member of that site, if you're not getting those regular emails. You should check it out. You might find something that's very useful to you that I might miss because I am not you.
1: That's it for In Case You Missed It. Coming up next, Hot Take.
0: So this is the final week of project-based learning for our hot takes. I hope that you guys have gotten a lot out of it. I know I have learned quite a bit. So go ahead and listen to the last part. If you missed the first two weeks of this discussion, go back and listen to the last two podcasts. So with project-based learning, one of the things that is really interesting is why is there so much excitement with it? And I think it comes from a few different things. There's many studies for schools that have been doing project-based learning well, that there's an improved academic performance overall, which we measure most of our academic performance by some sort of paper and pencil by yourself assessment So they're seeing improvements in those. It's teaching a lot of 21st century skills. And there's also the student engagement part of it, because students are engaged. They are a part of the problem. They are a part of the solution. They are a part of the designing of what their group is doing. It takes what's good about just doing projects, in ge- group projects in general, and now applying it and like taking it up another notch for those students.
1: Right. And I think, again, referring to the article about the uh, fourth grade social studies teacher, I was very impressed with the fact that he said once he got this going... Once he was just very um, used to the whole process, he actually had more time for individual and differentiated instruction. Mm -hmm. I thought that was key because I'm sure there are many teachers, given the time requirement to set it all up, might be thinking, well, if I do that, then how am I going to have my small group or how am I going to get my Mm one-on-ones? So that that was enlightening to me that he actually had more time to do that. That alone would make me want to try it.
0: And so I mentioned the 21st century skills. So there was a survey done by the National Association of Colleges and Employers, which I didn't even know was a trade group, back in 2015, where they listed the skills that are most valuable in people who are new hires. So the things that people are looking for when they are looking for adding people to their job. Listen to this list. The ability to work on a team problem-solving skills, written and verbal communication skills, initiative. So that's five key things. Five out of that top ten are all things that can be developed strongly through project-based learning. So we're really hitting those, what we're calling 21st century skills.
1: Yeah, I can't Mm -hmm. add much more to that other than um, another thing that uh, this teacher did was have his students constantly reflect on their work, which I think um, plays into all of the skills that you just mentioned. That you can't be Mm -hmm. successful in any of those unless you are routinely reflecting on the work that you've done. You're going back again and again, what could I have done differently? What could I improve? And that to me is definitely essential in any job they're going to get.
0: Right. And that I think even leads to a higher academic performance too, because they're taking, doing that same thing when they are by themselves looking at their own work, they're able to not, I don't want to say like diagnose and fix what's wrong, but they can look at the things they see that they're doing well, the areas that they need to improve upon in like whatever they're working on for that, like official assessment. Like, is this my best work? Like being able to ask yourself that and read it and be like, Is this the best representation of me? That's a hard skill to teach.
1: Right. Very, very hard. I'd have to think that the part of project-based learning where they're observing other groups' work when they're watching their presentations and seeing everything that another group did, all the questions that another group might have asked, they have to be thinking, oh, that's awesome. Oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, I should have done that. And it's it's self-motivating for the next project that they're going to work on.
0: So with a lot of this research, we're definitely including this all in our show notes. So we've kind of talked about what project-based learning is, things that's um, skills and things that we look at, but where we haven't really spent a lot of time is what does it really look like? If I were to say, we're going to go do some project-based learning, what are some examples that I can build off of? And so one of the ones that when we were reading, when I was reading through the articles that I liked was this one from a school in California. And so I'm just going to read it to you because it's going to sound a lot better than me trying to summarize what I'm reading to you. So, when California cut its budget for water quality testing, these San Diego high school students were charged with figuring out how to test the water quality on their own, then educate the public on ways that they could protect and improve water quality in their daily lives. This project engaged students learning in two content areas, science knowledge. Science knowledge was required to study the problem and develop solutions. And English language art skills, which are currently lacking with me at the moment, were needed to effectively communicate their idea to the public. So that's taking science and English and fusing them together. Which I'm like, that's a great idea because water quality, especially for them, they were not... Their water quality was no longer going to be tested as much. So I know for me, I get a bi-annually report unless something in the test is not good. And then I get a letter sent to me saying, hey, during this time period, water is not safe to drink. Heat it up. Um, But I get a report on the water quality that's coming to my house from our, I would guess... If I had to remember correctly, I believe it is the the fire department in our city who sends it to us. So, like, that's a real project. That's it's very open ended when you think about the question because how do you test the water? Like, what 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 is the process? Like, so you have to like really build upon that. So that was one example. I don't know if you had any examples. I have a few more.
1: Well, I know you so. have a few more. That I I know we're we're kind of running long on time now, so I want to be sure that the audience hears. The great examples that you mentioned to me mm-hmm. in the beginning of this session.
0: So, all right, well, I'm going to continue that. <laughs> so another school, the students at an elementary school, so this is younger students, were asked to redesign an underutilized courtyard space on the school campus. They drafted, revised, and presented their ideas in formal presentations to their classmates. They met with architect architects who shared their plans their own plans and took students' suggestions. The project could be made more rigorous with the addition of making the students' budget, having students research the material and labor costs, and determine what would fit within the school's budget. But even with without that, the level of student engagement was, according to this article, pretty fantastic. Now, I do a budget personally for our family. This is elementary school, so think K to six students or k-5 to students this project was not just what do you want to see in the courtyard like i could turn that into a writing prompt and we have this empty space right out in front of the school what should we do with it write a story about it but taking that idea and just running more with it the idea that you're teaching students how to budget you have fifty thousand dollars to do this this is how much this costs This is how much this costs like what could you do with it which i think is pretty great. And I imagine that the students probably got excited because they're like, if I come up with a good plan, maybe the school will do it. So it solves a problem within that school of this underused courtyard space.
1: Right, and it's it's just so inspiring that children know that they have power in this world and their, their thoughts are valued, their ideas are valued. And people will take them seriously if they work hard enough and put out a good idea. Yeah, we're gonna do it. Mm -hmm.
0: This last one was probably my favorite. I actually listened to the podcast that was attached to it. So there's a teacher on this on the podcast called Teach Thought who talks about one of the project-based learning things that they did. So this fourth grade teacher, I'm gonna say that again, fourth grade teacher described how her students worked to develop a solution to world hunger by studying alternative ways to grow plants, specifically hydroponics, and aquaponics. And she also talked about how discovering PBL changed the way she feels about teaching. So her fourth grade students were doing things that large corporations are trying to figure out how to do in countries where there is hunger and how to solve that by figuring out the best solution for growing food. Fourth graders. Awesome. I mean, those kids will be world travelers because you know some of them they're going to take it they're going to be like this was a great idea this was a great project and then move on from it but you know that there are students in that fourth grade class who are going to become passionate about this and they're going to want to learn what do i need to do so i can go and do this for the rest of my life because i want to help people and those are our future engineers right there
1: Right. It plants the seed. All they need is that exposure to what's possible, which technology Mm -hmm. gives them. Right. And they're on their way.
0: So more Mm -hmm. examples can be found at the Buck Institute, which which is where we got one of these articles. Um, And a lot of times if you just search project-based learning, you'll find lots of examples. So even for teachers that we are working with, like right now we might not see how to apply this, but with all these examples, like with the three that I just gave, plus hundreds more that we can find online, it can give teachers a starting point. We're trying to help you with a starting point of, I'm interested in doing this in my classroom. I need some ideas on how I can do it and how I can set the rigor right, how we can create a classroom culture that allows us to do this. So I just thought those were pretty cool. I don't know if you had any ideas.
1: Um, I keep referring to that fourth grade social studies class, um, and give me a second and I'll find it. He had his students um, act as caretakers of history, and there was—I don't have the exact article right at my fingertips—but there was. Um, Oh, here it is. So there was a castle in their community that was a historic landmark and a museum. And so he had his students uh, figure out, they had to know how to make and read a timeline. They had to identify and use primary and secondary sources. They had to understand the American colonial period and research specific people, places, and time periods. And this was the class that I mentioned earlier. He had them reflect on a daily basis. They all had their reflection journals, and they reflected throughout the process. And they became so accustomed to reflecting that all he had to do was ask, what time is it? And they knew it was reflection time. But they learned to work well together and uh, were quite accomplished by the end. And they ended up um, publishing An op-ed in the local newspaper. They created a comprehensive website using their own research and writing as content. They developed interactive exhibits, and they presented to high school students and important members of their community. And they developed an online virtual timeline of both the museum and their own project process. Fourth grade. I think that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. Especially because they're presenting in front of high schoolers, which they're much older, but they're technically peers because they're students still. With these projects, all sorts of ones. There's ones that are very based in STEM. We're trying to create tiny houses, which are like those like 500 square feet, almost mobile houses, but can help solve the homeless problem that plagues many cities. There's all sorts of STEM initiatives like building solar powered cars and building solar powered homeless shelters. (laughs) I mean, there's there's just so many opportunities to take problems that we see around us and turn it into a learning opportunity for students.
1: I have to believe, Mike, that there's a lot of teachers in Springfield that are doing this, and we just don't know about them. So I'd love to hear from our teachers uh, and what projects they've been implementing with their students. Love to interview you on this podcast and feature you in our teacher spotlight.
0: So that's a challenge to you, listeners out there. We know that there's listeners out there. We have data that proves it. We challenge you to contact us with your project-based learning ideas and things that you're doing in the classroom. If you remember back a number of podcasts ago with Brittany Blake, when we interviewed her, she actually did talk about one of her projects. So after listening to this podcast, I would highly suggest going back and listening to the interview with her and some of the things that she's doing with her middle school students. This is our conversation on... Project-based learning. It is by no means exhaustive. It is by no means the beginning, or it is the beginning. But it's no, no, not the end of the conversation. It's one that we can continue to have, and as we come together as teachers, whether that's using Yammer or creating teams or however we want to organize ourselves, this is just the beginning. And I, and I really do feel that this is the future of education, in many ways, that this is one of the directions that we are going.
1: Mike's interview this week is with fifth grade teacher Henry Robinson at Herena Elementary School. I met Henry a few years ago when we were doing park testing. And I was excited to hear that Mike would be interviewing
2: him. He is an enthusiastic technology user. I hope you enjoy the interview. My name is Henry Robinson. Uh, We're in Arena Elementary School, fifth grade. I teach math, writing, social studies, and science. How many years? Yep. This is year five? Maybe full year four, two years of subbing. So Mm -hmm. I kind of meld those two sub years into one. So when you were subbing, what kind of opportunities did you have using technology in the classroom? Very limited because I didn't have access to a computer that could hook up to the school Wi-Fi, so I'd maybe take a, use a kid's one or from a cart and try to use technology then. But it was basically whatever the teacher left for me plans-wise. So the technology was bare minimum. And was this um, substituting in Springfield? or Yes, always in
0: Springfield. So... When you subbed, were you like a building sub so you were always at the same school? No, I traveled
2: around. um, I was going to school full-time as well, so Mm -hmm. the days I didn't have classes, I would sub. And if I had a class, like a night class, I'd try to get a school close to a highway so I could hop on and head out to Westfield. Nice. So let's because you're freshly from
0: school, and and I say freshly meaning more than seven years. Right. What kind of technology did you use as a student?
2: Yeah, that's when um, sort of they started implementing way more online classes. And a lot of, it reminds me of what Brightspace is now. So, you know, you get an assignment online and then do your assignment at your own speed and then deliver it. I think we were using Dropbox back then, but, you know, that's sort of how I can co- like relate it to it's very it was very bright space like. Once you became a full time teacher
0: and you were no longer
2: substituting, have you been at the same school the whole time? Has it been here or no, my first year was as a technology teacher at Washington School. Okay. So I went right into the technology. And then it's this is my third year at Herena. So that first year of being a technology teacher, what was some of the things that you did with the students? I I kinda just I didn't know what to do. So I tried to use a lot of stuff that other teachers were using, so I did like Khan Academy at the beginning and set everyone up with Khan Academy accounts. I did the Everfi, Ever Everfi is that what yep, it's called? Yep. Everfi. I did Everfi to treat, teach the older kids how to be appropriate online, and then I just started making up my own things where I just teach basic, you know, typing skills and formatting and what you need to know how to do a Word document and a PowerPoint. And uh, I think it was the first year they did Park. It was a Park pre-test they were doing, so I taught them how to use the Park tools. That was pretty much it. I, we made our own comic strips. The kids really like that. So it sounds like you had a, a plethora of activities that you were able to do I tried to do as much as I could because they were much more advanced than me when mm-hmm. it came to technology. <laughs> so I had to sort of keep their attention or else they'd get bored. With what you did
0: as a technology teacher, then after that you came to Harena as the fifth grade teacher.
2: What were some of the things that you pulled from being the technology teacher that you either did right away or you still do now? Well, I, I still wanted them to know how to use Microsoft Word. And PowerPoint or whatever, like whatever we'd be using to write papers or do projects. So technology-wise, I taught them how to do a lot of like the formatting again, setting up papers the correct way, saving them, sending them to me, putting them in Dropboxes or what I think it was an assignment folder for Brightspace then. And then I started using uh, being a writer online, and that really turned a corner for me. I learned sort of how to assess using the internet tools instead of the paper tool mm-hmm. and that made it much more e- much easier for me and you know it, there wasn't just a stack of papers that I had to grade all the time I would get them electronically and I could do them as the class flow was happening and that that was sort of the beginning of my transition into like full technology nice I know in
0: past conversations that we've had you've mentioned using this tool for that and this tool for that so what are Like, when it comes to Brightspace, because you've mentioned it a couple times, what is Brightspace really good for using, at least in your eyes? Yes.
2: so before we got STEM scopes this year, I needed a way to have the students, like, for fifth grade, you need to remember everything from first to fifth grade. So it's all sort of review for your fifth grade MCAS. So I needed a way to parse out things that they had done in the past for them to do without having it be a gigantic MCAS packet or book or some book report, something that they just don't want to do. So I started making little discussion boards for them where they would use online pictures or, you know, graphs that they found or something that related to the topic to answer the question. So they'd answer it in writing, but they'd also have an image or a GIF or something that related to the science topic so that they were using the technology, but also using their brain and answering the science questions sort of without knowing Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like here's this open response question give me two paragraphs on this and because then they would just get bored with it so I ended up making like a hundred discussion boards (laughs) but and I was really excited about it and I start I would give them like 10 of them in one day and they'd be like mister that's we can't do all of these at once and so I started releasing them like two every couple days Mm -hmm. and that was manageable for them and they do them and then they started commenting on their friends Work And it was like, without me even realizing it, they'd, hey, nice job. I liked your picture. Where can I get this picture? And they were sharing it on the message board. And it was sort of like this science question-answering community I created by accident just because I didn't want them to be doing paperwork. Yeah, so Brightspace, the discussion boards, is one of the areas
0: that you really latched on to. Right. And it sounds like it really helped for doing
2: science MCAS prep Without it being called science MCAS prep, yes. Even though I labeled one of the forms <laughs> MCAS prep, they just would gloss through that and just do their work. And if they were downstairs doing like the paperwork with their teacher or going over stuff, I didn't want them to come up stairs and then do the same thing. So I needed a different variation on the science MCAS prep.
0: Nice. So that's with Brightspace. Um,
2: you also teach math. So what kind of math tools are you using or I'm a big OneNote guy. And OneNote is my number one thing for math. They get their bookwork, their classwork, they get like review questions I want them to do. They get like we were really struggling with multiplication tables, so I'd give them, you know, 2 through 10, you know, 2 times two, 2 through mm-hmm. that would be one day they'd get that and they do them and then Next week, maybe they get four the fours, or the, and you know, anyway, I can give them their work. So I do like five every day. They get a, they get a one note, a class note, one note to do, and that's part of their daily work. And they do them. If they're not getting it right, I'm 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 going through everyone's. I'm like cycling through everybody's mm-hmm. work. If they're struggling on it, I give them a little note. If they did it wrong, I tell them, give them a hint on how to do it right. If they did it right, I give them a good congratulations or a sticker or something. And it's just that like instant feedback mm-hmm. without me racing around the room to each kid. And I just sit in my desk and do it. Nice. I don't have a desk. I have a table.
0: A <laughs> table. Right, right. So have you tried using any of the... Because I know fifth grade, if I remember correctly, is Envisions. They also
2: have an online component. Have you used any of that? And- you know, I was going to do the... What is it, the quick, whatever their daily review is, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't find out about it till maybe like a month ago. So I didn't want to take them into something else when they were, I'm, I'm basically doing the same thing in OneNote, but I think next year I'm going to do the envisions to start. So they'll do like I ready and then do their envisions. Mm-hmm. What do they call it? It's like a daily review,
0: you know, right. common like core quick, review or
2: something. Quick review or something like that. Because I was at, I was presenting at one of the schools and one of the other teachers uses it every day. And she showed me the data and how they use it. And I'm like, I want to do that, but I don't want to throw it in now and get them confused. But next year, I'm, I think I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. because I we're, have plans for
2: it. Because <laughs> we're right before
0: MCAS, too. Right. So. In regards to MCAS, because that's a very hot topic right now, what are some things or tools that you've used, it sounds like, to help the students prepare for
2: it? Like, you use the discussion boards. You're using your goes, OneNote. Edulastic. Edulastic. Can you explain what that is? It's... We just started using it, but it helps you create quizzes or tests for the students, but it lets them use the tools that they're going to use Mm -hmm. in the MCAS. If you've never seen a fifth grade MCAS online, there is a huge ribbon of tools they can use Mm that, you know, they're complicated for me. So the kids need practice, and you don't want them going in the first test having 18 options of things to use and then not knowing what to do with them. Mm -hmm. So Edge Elastic is the closest one. To what mcas uses without having them do an actual practice mcas because those are limited those you get like six questions so right and you don't want to over you don't want to get them sick mcast before they've even taken an mcast so you should sort of show them something that's very similar i know OneNote has a equation editor that's mm-hmm. somewhat like that so edge elastic has been helpful with that i know we created a big OneNote note review that myself and the ils are using In small groups, yeah, Edge Elastic's Mm -hmm. good, pretty much Edge Elastic, and OneNote Prodigy is coming into play now. Nice. Um, So in regards to being a teacher
0: in Harena, for those that don't know, there's not many walls. I have two of the only walls in the school, yes. So not only can you guys hear each other, but I imagine it also helps with
2: collaboration, so have you used any technology tools to kind of collaborate with other teachers in the building? Yeah, OneNote. One I share my OneNotes with everybody from fifth mm-hmm. grade down. And, you know, I have to give them my password, but that's fine. I have a huge content library that I've built of things that kids can use, and they helps them do their work. So I feel selfish using it for just my 40 kids, so I let as many people use it as possible. Nice. So
0: this is the point in the interview where I start asking questions about the future, but you've kind of alluded to a couple of them, like using more of the online envisions next year. Um, yeah, I,
2: if you want to know my plan for next year, I yeah, it. it's already it's already planned out. All right. So for our, because we get what an hour twenty, I think for math. Yep. Hour twenty, hour thirty, somewhere in that range. Right? Yep. So with transitioning, you know, let's right. say hour twenty um, to get their sixty to seventy-five minutes of eye ready a week. I have them do it first because after our morning announcement, you know, they're putting breakfast away, they're sort of chatty, and they need to calm down before they come sit with me and I teach them a lesson. So I give them their 15 minutes right at the start. But I think I'm going to cut it down to like 12 minutes and then do the common, co- the, whatever the envision thing is called. <laughs> we're going to do that because it's only five or six questions and it gives you instant like feedback on it. I was trying to do dino questions to come to the rug, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I'm, I use that for something else. I'm not liking what how it's working with me. So we're gonna do iReady Envisions. Then we're gonna I'm gonna teach the lesson. They still like to do a few problems in their book, so I'll let them do that. Then they'll do their OneNote, class notes, and then I'm gonna continue to put something in their quiz folder or their homework folder or their small I made a small group folder. Mm-hmm. And then we'll still do small group. If there's time, I'll let them do Prodigy before we come back and reflect and go over the work. What I do is I either make them grade in their book or in their OneNote. And if they don't grade it, it's telling me they're not following along when we reflect, so I make them do it again. Mm -hmm. Especially with OneNote, I can just erase erase all their answers, and I'm like, do it again, because you didn't (laughs) pay attention the whole time. But most of them do it. They love it because they pick their own color and grade it, and they're honest. If they get it wrong, they mark it wrong, and then I can see what they got wrong. The next day, I'm like, "Let's talk about what you got wrong, and we'll help you figure this out." It'll inform instruction for the next day, right? So there's my 80 minutes. So you said you also teach writing and science. Are there things that and, and social, social studies? studies. Sorry, yeah. I don't want to forget it's social okay. studies. So, I know people have forgotten.
0: Um, I mean. Are there things that you're looking forward to trying with them in those
2: subjects next year? You know, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do more of the hands-on stuff in STEM scopes. I tend to rely a little too much on the technology part. Just because they are, they get in a groove with it. They watch their videos and they answer their questions, or they do the game. The one thing I have done is they do their vocab. I make them write it down in their notebook, and then I make a quiz, a quiz or a test form on Brightspace. They do like every month and a half, because mm-hmm. that tells me when you're getting the vocab, are you just watching the slideshow, or are you actually writing it down? Because I let you use your notebook to take the test. So mm-hmm. if you wrote it down, the test is an easy A. If you didn't write it down, you're not. Supposed to be doing, which tells me you need to we need to make a change or something.
0: It's a way to hold the students accountable, for right? Their work, accountability, which That's is right. a very big thing. I remember with fifth grade, like once they, once I was able to give them accountability and like do it in a very constructive way, like they became more autonomous.
2: You, I, I almost which is a feel big like thing
0: giving them to go to middle school. It's my
2: most proud. It's the thing I'm most proud about. They do all their work by themselves, maybe with a friend just because they mm-hmm. want to, but. I can, for two hours, they are busy, and they like doing it, and they're not, like, bored. They just sort of have tasks that they know they need to do, and they like to do them, and they beg me for more discussion boards. I'm like, all right, we can do them. What about the new STEMscopes videos? You haven't put the Earth System one out. I'm like, what? All right, so so they like to do it Mm -hmm. and be busy, and they love the technology. So I'm not going to steer away and start, well, we need to do more bookwork. It's like they don't want to, and I feel like they get more out of the technology part because they willingly do it without me tricking them or forcing mm-hmm. them. Or So, yeah, the autonomy is amazing. All right, so before
0: I get to my final question, I just had one more th- question pop in my head. When they're doing their math work with their laptop, so like when they're working in one note, do they use styluses or their
2: fingers or are they... We don't have any styluses, but mm-hmm. they do use their finger. They okay. like the draw tool. We've actually just using Techno one note I'm um, keep harping on one note but I was running out of paper and I'm not the biggest paper guy because I feel like it's wasteful so I had them learn how to use quick note like mm-hmm. the quick note access toolbar so they pull that up and when I'm up teaching something whatever multiplying decimals they're doing it with their finger on their quick note on their computer so and then if I want to see if they did it right I'll just pull up dyno and see what they're doing mm-hmm. or I'll say Instead of me going around everybody, I'll say, put your quick note on your screen. I'll pull up Dino and I'll go through and see what they did. And then, and that limits mm-hmm. getting up, people talking, people moving around the room too loudly. And when you have no walls, you have to limit as much sound as possible. So if I can get them moving and doing what they need to do, but digitally telling me, mm-hmm. that's that was my goal from the get go. Like it took in the beginning, it was like I'd send them a message on Dino or I'd Send them a message onto OneNote and then they'd like yell to me their response. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, okay, mister, I got it. And I was like, okay. almost. Okay, guys. Almost got the it. The point of this is to limit the conversation. And it took a, a month, but they figured it out. So, nice. So, that's something you like. So, my final
0: question that I have I kind of ask everybody this if you had the opportunity to stand in front of the new hires, which in a few months we're going to have who knows how many people, Uh, and you were going to give them any piece of advice, whether it's using technology or being in a classroom,
2: what would that be? It's a corny answer, but you have to be nice to the kids. It's number one. If you're afraid or nervous or whatever, because it's an inner city and some of the kids are rough, I mean, that's just how it is. If you're not nice to them, you're not going to get the results you want. I don't get them to do all their work on their own because I'm like, task mastering them and like standing behind them and like yelling or being none of it matters if they don't feel good or confident and feel like you have their back and you're gonna be there for them am I critical sometimes am I stern sure I can't just like have kids doing whatever they want but in the end you got to be nice to them like that's the main key they have to think you like them or you're not gonna leave them and you're gonna be there for them and you want them to do well so that's number one technology wise Figure out what works for you. Don't try to do too much. You, I get yammers from you all the time. There's new <laughs> stuff, and I'm trying to like implement it. And <laughs> there's like twelve things on my sticky note that I want to implement, and I just need to remember to pick a few, mm-hmm. pick one, try it, see how it works. Don't give up on it too early, but don't overcrowd. Find things that work. It feels like two hours is a lot with kids, but it's over before you know it. Like you have to teach so much to them that you don't have time to do edge elastic the coding thing, the one note, the bright space, you know, it's just find something that, find what works for you, diversify it a little bit, and you'll be all set. But be nice to the kids. It's the rule.
0: Well, I know we're in the middle of the day and right before MCAS, so again, I
2: thank you for taking time to interview. Problem.
3: So mike it sounds like you had an excellent opportunity to sit down with henry and talk about the multiple ways in which he's integrating technology into his classroom i couldn't help but kind of be impressed uh, while we're listening to your recording as the number of tools he appears to be using in the classroom from D2L brightspace to OneNote, uh, every day and also envisions how is he managing
0: all of this i think from this, what I gathered in the interview, like he's got a really good system down for this tool is for this, this tool is for this, and we do this with this tool. So instead of trying to use every tool to its fullest, he's picked out the parts that he has found to be the most effective and is using that with his classroom. So I think that really helps helps him stay organized. And as
3: you know, and as Henry said, being a classroom teacher yourself... One of the key takeaways that Henry had for new teachers and for teachers who are existing is to not try to use everything, right? He he was pretty pretty uh, emphatic on that point that you can't try to use every tool because you'll overwhelm not just yourself but your students. Would you
0: relate to that? I definitely could relate to that. It was nice to hear because I was one of those teachers who tried to use every tool. Like when Henry's like, "Oh, you'd send out a Yammer with a new tool. Like, oh, I want to put that on sticky note and try it." I would be the person who would, instead of putting it on the sticky note, try to be like, all right, so today is Thursday. On Monday, we're going to use this new tool. So it was great to hear like the way that he goes about it, and I do like that process. What do you think, Suzanne?
1: Uh, I agree with everything you've said. I think he takes his own advice in learning one tool at a time. He started out just playing around with Khan Academy, EverFi, teaching the kids typing, and then as he got more and more grounded in what he wanted his students to accomplish, he introduced more tools. So it's a great recipe for success, I think.
0: Yeah, especially because his first year of teaching, his first official year of teaching at least, was as a tech teacher at one school. And so he took in all those tools. And then when he went to teach fifth grade at a different school, he knew what skills he needed to have those fifth graders know, worked on them, and then continued to add in new tools as it comes along. And I love that he's got a plan for next year already. And that yeah. he's already like forward thinking. And not just a plan
3: for next year already. He's assisting others in creating their own plans for next year using OneNote by sharing out a bunch of great content that he's already created. And I think that's kind of one of the things that we look to see when we visit schools is, is that collaboration taking place. And it's folks like Henry who are really driving that. And it's great to see that he's already trying to share out as much as he can via uh, OneNote.
1: Right. And I'm sure all the other teachers in his school totally appreciate that. The other part that I was um, so impressed with was his use of the discussion boards on Brightspace and how that morphed into a whole science community by accident. Mm -hmm. Can't ask for any more than that.
0: No. And even the fact that it didn't seem like there was a lot of like pre-teaching on how to use discussion boards and how to communicate effectively in them. His students seemed to start out a little slow, but then really seemed to get it. And then they were asking for more and more and more,
3: which I thought was pretty cool too. Which also I think doesn't necessarily surprise us considering how intuitive our students are picking up technology. <laughs> so so it's, it's just great to see that, like as you say, Henry's kind of found his slice of, of each technology tool that he wants to use, whether it be discussions or writespace or, or classwork in, in OneNote, to really just kind of enhance uh, the students' capabilities with these technology tools.
1: Right, and uh, just one last thought on my part. I think uh, his, his point about the relationship with the kids is a very important one, I think. His lack of fear in using technology, and obviously the students' lack of fear, um, they're learning together. The kids are expert in some areas, he's expert in others, but because they've got that strong relationship, they're all able to learn well together.
3: You really can't emphasize that enough, because that's such a great point. One of Henry's closing points was, of course, was to just be nice to the students, and you can't encourage that enough. <laughs> and, and I think that's just so key, right? It just establishes such a positive
0: environment in the classroom, so it's, it's really inspiring to see uh, Henry taking that attitude every day. So we look forward to hearing more from Henry as time goes on, as new tools come in and he tries new things out. We'll be very excited to hear what he is doing in his classroom. Great, thank you. So as we wrap up today, I just want to remind you again that there are many avenues that you can reach out to us at by directly emailing us at DLA support, leaving comments on one of the many places you can find our podcast, if you're looking to share the podcast you can also share out from those particular sites that you use or that you know that others use there is also this great opportunity we are working on creating training videos of teachers using technology in the classroom at various technology levels we're of course following the SAMR model with this and we're excited to try to help teachers as there's a department of four of us who are one of our roles is to go out and help you learn how to use technology well in the classroom. We've got too many teachers in this district that are using technology well, and we need to be able to share that with everybody so that we can see at the various grade levels to the various subject areas on how to use technology well in the classroom. Please reach out to us if you or you know of someone who would be great to use on those videos. We are looking forward to your feedback. And that's it for today. I'm Mike Thomas. I'm Suzanne Sarges. I'm Fred Henry. And we'll see you next week.